We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 108. Today we have a special episode for you. We will be joined by Brendan Cuddy from NJ.com. He will be joining us in just a second. But before we get to that, Scott, what's up? How's it going? Good. I'm excited to hear more about the winter meetings and kind of, you know, the what happens at these meetings. I really do picture in my brain just like a bunch of dudes hanging out and like hiding behind bushes, like to jump out to a GM when they see them and like trying to get everything, uh, any quote that they can, because it, I guarantee there's a ton of reporters and you know that the GMs don't want to talk to them all the time. So there's got to be a lot of uh, interesting tactics. Do you know what I was thinking? That the baseball winter meetings might be the biggest sausage party in the history of the world, even more than like Comic-Con or anything like that. Comic-Con's pretty big. That's, um, I, I don't guess know. You get, some, you get some kinky chicks going to Comic-Con. You don't get that true. going to the baseball winter meetings. No, you do not. No, it's you do 100% not. dudes. 
<laughs> that's yeah, there you're right. I mean, if you look around, there's, there's not many beat reporters that are that are women. I mean, you just don't see it very often. At least in New York, you don't. Yeah, Marley Rivera is the only one that, yeah. that comes to mind. But right. um, yeah, so we're going to get to Brennan in a second. We cover, obviously, the big Chapman news as well as get his thoughts on, on where the team is going this offseason. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a second to thank everybody for giving the, the podcast a rating and review on iTunes. Last I checked, we're up to 129 ratings and 85 written reviews. That's awesome, uh, especially because most of them are five stars. Uh, if you have not given the podcast a rating yet, please go there. It takes two seconds in iTunes. Just give it a five-star rating. And if you want to take an extra couple seconds, give us a review. And as we've been saying, if you make us laugh, we're going to read it on the air and we're going to retweet you uh, from at Yankees podcast uh, Twitter handle. I also, Scott, today was looking through the Stitcher radio and we have no reviews there. Now, I'm not a Stitcher radio guy, so it was the first time I ever went on that <laughs> that app, that website. But uh, if you do listen to the podcast on Stitcher, definitely give it a, a, a rating there. And I guess I was just too dumb to find it on Google Play because I could not find Bronx Pinstripe Show on Google Play. Unless you're lying to me and it's actually not there. But, no, you're um, no, you're you're too dumb apparently okay. because Thought because so. it's it, it's there, it's there. It's uh, it's not the easiest thing to find. It's not like iTunes, so, but yeah, it's there. I don't know how many rev- I haven't looked to see if there's people actually listening to us on Google. I don't know. I'm, when you're when you become like an Apple guy, you forget about the other world, it's like so the true. Android Google side. And I feel like when you're a Google Android guy, you have you just you can't stand and you turn your nose up at all the Apple people because they're a bunch of snobs. And we kind of are when it comes to technology because then we become everything Apple inclusive. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know anything about that store. Hopefully people are listening. And if you are review us there. Um, all right. So let's get into the interview with Brendan right now. And then Scott and I will be back to give our reactions to the Chapman signing, as well as talk about some of the other stuff that went on at the winter meetings that we didn't cover with Brendan. And then we also have a ton of mailbags to get to. So uh, enjoy the interview with Brendan. Now we welcome on to the podcast Brendan Cuddy of NJ.com. He is on Twitter at Brendan Cuddy NJ. Brendan, thanks for joining us. I hear you just got back from the winter meetings, right? I did. I got back super early Saturday morning after taking Friday to kind of walk around Washington, D.C., see some things I'd never seen before, the White House, the Capitol building, all that kind of stuff. And then I had off Saturday and Sunday and completely unplugged from baseball the best I possibly could. But now I'm back into it. Uh, still the hot stove season, still the off season. The Yankees still have a lot of things to do. And, you know, you, you got to love it. Yeah. So what's it like down there for that week at the winter meetings? Is it just mayhem for five straight days? It's wild. It is wild. It is a free for all. You are constantly using guerrilla tactics to <laughs> try to accomplish your goals each day really you want to get the, the the idea of what it's like to be a baseball reporter at the winter meetings and you know I, i'm still I, i'm going into my fourth season on the yankees beat i'm a lot more experienced than i was you know three seasons ago but i'm still a new face the all these guys have been covering the game for quite some time and the guys who have been covering the game for quite some time, they know plenty more faces and more names than I do. So it's really a free-for-all. It's really fast-paced. It's really faces going past you. 
hellos, goodbyes, quick introductions, and no time for shyness. No time for holding back. You just... So there have been times where I've walked up to, to an agent and said, hi, listen, I cover your te- the team who's going after your guy. What can you tell me? I know you don't know me, but this is my job. Yeah. And, and sometimes just, it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and they just have to trust that um, you're going to use that information uh, correctly, I guess. Yeah. I could imagine well, because if that. Because if I don't, if I don't use that information correctly, it just screws me. Right. Uh, what, I tell, what I tell all my, the people I work with, and this has been true for my whole journalism career before I did this. Uh, I covered crime. I covered politics. I covered uh, government uh, for NJ.com and, and Patch.com, America Online. Um, and then, you know, just uh, did a couple other things outside of the sports realm. As a reporter, you, you all you have is your credibility. Once that is gone, it is over. And so, yeah, it, the, these guys know that when they say something to you and you screw it up, you never talk to them again, or they never talk to you again, and they hold the power. They're the ones with the information. It's it's similar to that. I saw that you retweeted an article that was about the uh, Andrew Marchand on that on the Alex Rodriguez Brian Cashman call. It was that that kind of leads me to that. You know, thinking about the the quote that he got, and you know, do I print this? Uh, you know, is this something that that I need to avoid? Uh, it's I'm sure you guys get put in tough situations. Um, us, we have a little bit more of a free range, I think, to to write <laughs> a little bit more uh, out there things. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> these guys are professionals. They know the rules of the game. They know mm-hmm. how it works. They know if they say something to me, and there's not an agreement that we're off the record, right? Um, that, that it's it's fair play. Now, sometimes that happens, but I still don't use what they say because I think to myself. All right, did that person really mean that? Was it in that situation? Will it do – could it, for me, do more harm than good right. to to use that quote or, or not use that quote or use that information or not use that information? Um, and and also the importance of the information. You take take uh, Marshan's situation where Cashman says, you know, tell A-Rod to shut the F up or whatever it was, and then he hangs up the phone. I mean that's – you got to go with that. That's, that's the lead right there. That's, 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 not, yeah, that's it's it. not the it's not the lead. It's 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 the truth. It's it's how ca- how Cashman felt at the time. You know, you get a so and so player saying, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm so mad at this and I'm so mad at that." But then you you walk away and, and you let a couple minutes pass and, and then he comes back to over to you and says, "Listen, that's I, I was I was hot at the moment." You know, uh, you know, it, it it depends on the situation. It depends on 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 what's going on. Uh, more often than not, more I would say ninety nine percent of the time you you go with it because you have it on the record, and and you, and you have it, and they know they know that once you're in there, uh, in the clubhouse or you have a microphone in front of their face, they know it's it's for real, um, and they can't plead they can't plead ignorance. Yeah, one thing about Brian Cashman, and obviously you can speak to this much better than Scott or I could, but he seems to be very honest and upfront. He tells you exactly what he means, and there's really no sugarcoating it. Uh, do you agree with that? I get. I have no reason to think that Brian Cashman has been uh, dishonest with me or purposely dishonest with me uh, in the time that I've been covering the Yankees. And uh, you know, I'm fortunate in that regard. I I have heard stories of other front office executives or other 
player agents or players, uh, for that matter, flat lying to the media. And, you know, we've dealt with that with the Yankees and the Yankees clubhouse and, you know, people within the Yankees. But I can tell you specifically through Brian Cashman, I have not, I have not experienced that. Um, he gets it. He gets the market he's in. He gets that. If you, if you lie, if you tell a flat lie, you're going to get found out. It's 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 you can't just drop a lie on someone and expect it to work, you know, and, and, and expect to never get caught because there are too many reporters in, in New York there and, and there are too many reporters who are good at their job in New York that once you do that and you get uncovered as a fraud, you know, you're you're a fraud until until you're gone. And one thing that he was extremely transparent about all offseason was their pursuit of Araldis Chapman. He said they wanted to sign a closer. Chapman was their top priority. Ended up five years, 86 million bucks. Um, I'm, I wouldn't say that any Yankee fan was surprised by the signing because, like I said, Cashman was extremely transparent. But with where this organization is right now and the direction moving towards the young kids and a lot of people believing they're trying to get under the luxury tax number... Are you surprised by eighty-six million for a closer? No. Ken, Kenley Jansen got eighty million today. Right, um, which is which is more reason to say that it made sense for the Yankees to sign Chapman because you know he would Jansen would have cost a draft pick. Well, okay, yes, yes, but let's just talk about Chapman and, and the Yankees and the situation they're in. Uh, Hal Steinbrenner won't go the Mets route. He won't do it. He won't just field a team that's completely and obviously non-competitive for a season. It's not going to happen. Um, call it pride. Call it him wanting to you know, do something the, the, the way his, his father would have. Or call it you know, TV ratings and, and butts in seats at Yankee Stadium. And, and then respect for that team and that fan base going forward. You know, he, the Yankees aren't going to be that kind of team. Now you can say, how much does Araldis Chapman help a Yankees team that has trouble scoring runs? You know, why, why add another high level closer when you have Del Betances on, on such a lucrative deal when you're not going to hand him leads anyway? Well, it's because they, need to give themselves or they feel like they need to have the chance that Greg Bird somehow outplays his ceiling. Somehow Gary Sanchez is closer to the hitter he was late last season than, you know, maybe maybe what his floor is. That Jacoby Ellsbury has one resurgent season in 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 this long, hideous contract. Or that Matt Holliday turns it on for a year and hits 30. I mean, they almost did it Two years ago, when when A Rod and Tex both hit thirty home runs, no one saw that coming, and all of a sudden you had a competitive Yankees team. So Hal needs to hold out hope for that and give his fan base something to look forward to. Hence, signing Chapman because what are you going to do? Go drop fifty six or sixty million dollars to go bring Ivan Nova back? Ooh. Well, the, and the other thing about Chapman as well is it's it's really less of a, a risky move, in my opinion, when it comes to, like you were talking about earlier, uh, putting a product out on the field, getting butts in seats. Because now with Chapman back in the ninth inning, 
and the Yankees having a premier closer that, you know, the the stadium lights up and the fire goes off and rage against the machine happens and he's throwing 105 miles an hour. This is a guy now that people are waiting for. It's a spectacle again in the ninth inning, and they're waiting for this guy to come in. So not only is he is he there in case these guys all, that you're talking about all day, you know, they um they overachieve or they hit their ceiling or they hit their ceilings, but the, he's there to 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 bring some another level of excitement. And I think at that point, you know, they're they're making it on the other side uh, of the coin off the field as well. Probably now. Here's the here's the flip side of it. Araldis Chapman's a closer. Do you can you buy a ticket to a Yankees game saying, "Oh man, I'm going to watch Araldis Chapman pitch tonight"? No, you can't. You have no idea if he's going to pitch. So that's the flip side. Is he as markable as you think? You don't you don't know that you're going to see him pitch. I think it's more of the idea of Araldis Chapman and the you know maybe he's maybe he's worth a, a three or four extra saved games, and now you're talking about an 89 win team. That possibly could be a wild card team that maybe guarantees the Yankees a spot in a wild card game where they can get fans into the stadium and then they could win that wild card game and then go into the ALDS and get some more playoff money, um, you know, playoff tickets and seats and that kind of stuff. So I think that's the idea. I think the Yankees are doing the best they can to keep to keep themselves just there. That if everything breaks right. They they could put themselves over the top, and I guess you're the Yankees. You you're fortunate enough to where you can have an eighty six million dollar contract be a just in case contract. <laughs> um, the three largest relief pitcher contracts were handed out this offseason: Melanson, Chapman, and Jansen. Um, do you think that's why? Do you think that is? Do you think it's because there's just so happened to be coincidence of three tremendous closers on the market at the same time? Do you think it's maybe an overreaction to how the playoffs played out last year when Miller and Chapman were each used so liberally and 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 um, became such on the forefront uh, in the World Series? Or why do you think it's just where all this money is being given to closers now? I think the oh, there's been an overreaction. To the idea of an overreaction to teams seeing what Miller and Matanzas did, uh, Miller and Chapman did in the World Series. Uh, teams are smart. They knew that Miller could do that. They knew that Chapman could approximate something like that. They, they, they didn't go into this blind saying, gee, I hope we can get use Andrew Miller in the fifth inning to the seventh inning. No, they know. So now the world seeing it, sure, but these front offices aren't shocked by that. These, these agents know that these front offices aren't blown away by this. What it, what it is is three high-level relievers becoming free agents at a time where there's no available starting pitching. That's what drove, drove the price up. That's you, you set a bar for Melanson and say, all right, Jansen and Chapman are a step or two above that. And that's how it goes. And since teams aren't signing free agent relievers, I mean, uh, starting pitchers, they're going to overpay a little bit more because they want to come out on top. Uh, yeah. a, a quote that I saw a couple times repeated this offseason, and I, I was from one of the post guys, I feel like it might have been Ken Davidoff. It was um, Andrew Friedman was speaking to reporters or speaking to someone and he said, if you, if you always do in free agency 
what you think is rational, you'll always finish third on every player's list. You, sometimes you got to go over the top. You have to go overboard to get what you want because other people will go over the top or go overboard to get that player. The funny thing, too, is that the not even starting pitching. I mean, there just weren't any huge marquee free agents this year. I think that's that's drove the cost up. Uh, the Yankees not doing anything last year. I think other teams knew that they were going to walk into this year and they were going to go get their guy one way or another. And all of these factors just, you know, basically earned these three guys a huge payday. Probably Melanson, the, the biggest surprise uh, of anything, if you're looking back at his career. Uh, yeah, I guess he's the biggest surprise if you look back at his career. He's also a three-time All-Star. He also had like a one-something ERA, I think, when he was with the with the Pirates and then he went over to the Nationals and he still pitched, still pitched pretty well there. Yeah, he got a lot of money. Yeah, you can debate whether he's worth that, but you're going to say the same thing about Jansen, same thing about Chapman, same thing about just every, probably every free agent that gets signed ever again. You're going to say, well, that was a lot of money because our peasant minds can't wrap our heads around the idea of $12 million for a season for for someone who, who who's used in a third of the team's games. Yeah, suddenly but, Andrew but, but, Miller's but these contract guys, looks very affordable. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was affordable when he signed it. I mean, he signed, he signed for $10 million overall less than what David Robertson got. That was that was, uh, that was was a steal when it happened, and it's a bigger steal now. Um, Getting back to why I think the Yankees made this deal for Chapman, we – I agree with what you guys have been saying about it's more than just um, dollars and cents for why Chapman makes sense. But I think maybe Cashman thinks the team is a little bit closer to competing than a lot of people do. Maybe it's not 2017, but 2018 and definitely 2019, he thinks this team can compete for in the playoffs, maybe win a couple rounds, and you're going to need Chapman to do that. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I, I think they're more concerned about getting to the playoffs, uh, getting to a wild card, and and hoping that all goes wrong for the Red Sox, hoping that Chris Sale becomes their next Pablo Sandoval somehow. Um, and in and, and, and that, that scenario, I don't think they're so thinking about what they're going to do in the ALCS or ALDS. I, I do think that this is kind of Cashman's big gamble right now. Clint Frazier, Gliber Torres, Jorge Mateo, Aaron Judge, James Caprillion, Miguel Anduar, all these guys, he's got to hit. He's got so many of them that he's got to hit on a few. The law of averages tell you that a couple of them have to pan out. Well, a couple of them, sure, but, I mean, he really needs to hit on a few of these guys. Otherwise, what's the future of this organization and – and what's what's his role in it? You know, he's really he, he's he's set it up. Now it's up to the players to, to make it happen. He's, he he needs them to to make it happen, or else this this whole youth movement will will have been more of just you know running in water. Yeah, and after the winter meetings ended, it, it Cashman said the heavy lifting is done, uh, and then of course he threw in the caveat unless I trade Brett Gardner. Um, that's again one of those times I feel like Cashman's transparency is showing. Um, we just talked about how we think he's honest. So I honestly do think the heavy lifting is done. And that means holiday and Chapman are the two off season acquisitions. If those are the only two moves the Yankees make, how would you say they did this off season? 
meh. <laughs> I'll go with meh. Like B because... minus, C plus? C. So, I mean, I mean, are you expecting them to go out and just and make trades? I mean, because if we're looking at what the starting pitching was, like we were talking about, where the, the, the closer market was, we got one of them. I mean, what other moves are you looking for other than, you know, sending off some of the, the prospects and going against the plan? Well, you, 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 can, you can send off some of the prospects and still go with the plan. Uh, if, if the plan is a youth movement, as if that's what you mean, you don't have to dump everyone. Right. Uh, but if you're looking, all right. So you go into the off season, Yankees as the odds-on favorite to end up with Chapman. Though I wasn't as totally convinced as everybody else it seemed. And then <laughs> you, you figure they were going to trade McCann because who, the Yankees are really going to let seventeen million dollars sit on their bench. And he was like, uh, uh, so he still could be a full-time catcher. His value is at its at its, poss- at its, its most highest right now. Um, so you knew he was gone, and you figured the Yankees were going to add a DH because they needed a DH. So those are three moves that you kind of knew were coming. So we're talking milk toast here. We're talking, all right, these are things they had to do. Now, how do they, how do they kind of change the game a little bit? Now, they have those two open spots in the rotation. The Yankees often talk about how badly they need starting pitching depth. How you can never have enough starting pitchers. Oof. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't I don't see all five of those guys as being... And the, these, we're talking about the five guys who currently are named as the guys who will compete for those two open spots in the rotation. I don't, I don't think all five of those guys will show themselves as legitimate major league options. And not... I don't, I don't even know that two of them will show themselves this season as legitimate major league options. Being a starting pitcher in the major leagues is really hard. So for the Yankees to not just go into spring training with a fifth starter competition that they do every year, but for a fourth starter, that takes that that surprises me a lot. And I I'd be if if I'm a Yankees fan, I'd I'd be open to the idea of uh, trading someone from their glut of prospects, and I don't want to call it a glut because that that implies they have too much. But you know, g- g- getting rid of or or sending away someone who's who's got a bright future for someone who can help you now, because you are talking about still trying to compete for this season, a starting pitcher, maybe some kind of uh, reliever. Though the Yankees seem like they're pretty intent and believe that they can develop relief arms pretty well. Um, and there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of unproven, a lot of unproven arms there in, in the in the pitching staff outside of the three starters and, and Chapman and Batanzas and even Clippard. Clippard's a little shaky too. Yeah, I get what you're saying that the rotation is a huge question mark, <clears throat> and they could trade some of their depth to get a starter. But in reality, what would they be getting back? They would be getting yeah, back a number four or a number five starter, which is what they have as the the five or six guys. Brian Mitchell, Luis Sessa, Luis Severino. I mean, those guys are every bit as capable of pitching the fifth starter role as someone else you you bring in. Uh, I just don't feel like there's a lot out there um, unless you want to trade a bunch of prospects for Chris Sale or a bunch of prospects for Jose Quintana or somebody like that. You're you're not going to just get away with bringing in a fifth starter for one mid-level prospect. I don't see how that makes you any better. 
and th- and that's the thing. I, well, it's opportunity. Oppor- I mean, are you seeing? Were there trades that that Cashman turned down that you know about, or, or something that that you've kind of heard through the grapevine of things that I, were surprising? I, I, I if I, I hate to say it, I wouldn't tell you guys here okay. if I did. Uh, but I, I do think the Yankees could find a mid rotation type starter using not all of the prospects in their system if they wanted to, and, and not many of the prospects and not a bunch of the prospects. I think they could go and, and trade for maybe a three type, maybe a, a, uh, uh, a guy who had a rough year last year, who, you know, who still has a little bit of potential the way, the way they, they did for the, the way, when they swung the Avaldi trade, they, they, uh, didn't, they didn't really have to give up a whole lot for Nathan Avaldi. Now you can question whether, Ivaldi ended up being worth it, and whether he ended up being good, but you could you can say that they got some serious upside there, and I think there are there are arms you can get in that range. I'm not talking Chris Sale, and I'm not talking a, a fifth starter, and also that's relative. I don't know that you can say Brian Mitchell at all can capably do the fifth starter job as well as anyone else out there because they haven't done it yet, and there, there's a reason why these guys haven't done it yet now severino was was hot garbage last year you know the um brian mitchell was hurt he looked good in spring training but then again luis severino looked good in spring training you know you got chad green who dominated triple a and didn't look so good when he got to the majors you got luis sessa luis sessa really showed you something last year um but then you got adam warren who has showed he can start but it's it seems that the yankees peg him as more valuable as a swing man as a middle you know, fifth inning, fourth inning guy who can come in and give you two innings, three innings when one of those fourth or fifth starter options fail. I don't think you can say that right now you know that one of those options can be a fifth starter guy. Maybe they're really nothing better than a seventh starter guy, eighth starter guy. Now, I'll I'll wrap this up. You have to give them a chance to find out, sure. But is the number four spot in the Yankees rotation a spot that should be a tryout spot? Well, I mean, that's even it's it's similar to a guy that had a down year. I mean, you're you're expecting a rebound at that point. I mean, what about a guy that we see out there that's that's available right now, um, who's coming off of an injury but had had a lot of success in the past? A guy like Tyson Ross is that somebody that you would expect Cashman to to make a play for? Someone someone in that type of situation. He's a shoulder, right? Yep. The, um. <sighs> Because it, it seems it, like it, he's it comes, right in that realm down. where, you know, it's a one-year yeah. a gamble yeah. and, and you're trying to get a four-fifth starter. And this is a guy who was at the top of a rotation for, you know, for a few years with the Padres. Yeah, I do it. I do it. If, you, if, 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 if it's all that's all it takes is money, he was, uh, he was non-tendered, right? You know, uh, all that takes is – all it costs is money. I say – I say if you can be had on a on – a, I, I don't know why when I, when I think of Yankee – when I think of one-year deals with pitchers – for guys who you're not really sure what you're going to get out of them, you're thinking something solid, but you know probably a little bit less. I think of Kuroda when Kuroda would get those one-year, fifteen, sixteen million dollar deals year after year after year. Um, and say, <laughs> would you take a Tyson Ross on a one-year thirteen million, one-year twelve million, one-year fourteen million? I'd probably do it because it's it's a one-year commitment. Give him a shot to prove himself, and that just adds to your depth. And and by the way. We're talking about pitching depth. Masahiro Tanaka, CC Sabathia, and Michael Pineda are the three guys who have or who are locked into your rotation until worst case scenario, Tanaka blows his arm out, CC blows his knee out, 
and or or just has another injury because he's an older pitcher. And Michael Pineda, he's so wildly inconsistent that there were times last year where you're thinking he's going to end up in the bullpen. So you, you add those three arms that were solid enough. Tanaka was great. CC was great for, for what you expected from him. And Pineda, Pineda wasn't at all. But <clears throat> you, you take those three question marks, add them to the five question marks you got going into your fourth and fifth spots. And you're, I say the, the more the better. The, go, go, go grab someone else who you can really think you can stick in there. So, in your opinion, do you think um, that the Yankees are trying to get under the luxury tax? They can still compete next year and put asses in the seats, but they could still get under that number even with the two signings that they've already made. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know a thousand percent what their cap figure is right now, right now, um, and and I, I believe it's one ninety five next year is, is the threshold. I wouldn't bet them, bet on them getting under it this season, and I don't think they are. They're not going to get under it this season. Uh, excuse me, um, but next year, when you get, when you take CC's contract off, when you take A Rod's contract off, you know going into seven, going into the eighteen season, I think that's a prime opportunity to do it. Yeah, uh, and, and I think I think it will happen then. I don't think it'll happen now. Yeah, so it's just a, a one more year type type deal. And then once they get under it once, it sort of it sort of resets for them, and they can save some money that way. Um, one other thing that I found surprising, I, I, at least surprised me, maybe angered me and a lot of other Yankee fans, is Cashman said that he has decided to keep Chase Headley, but he has fielded <laughs> offers for, for Headley. The fact that he decided to keep him is one thing, but, but when I heard that he fielded offers and decided that no thanks on him, um, it, it kind of pissed me off because unless those teams said you have to pay half of his money, I would say that just dumping the eleven, twelve, thirteen million dollars, whatever it is for Chase Headley annually, is a positive with the way he is just sort of um, to steal a phrase from you, milk toast at third base. Right. Uh, he's he's owed uh, twenty six million over the next two years. That's thirteen million each year. Uh, let me be one of the few Chase Headley defenders in the world. He was he was horrible in April, absolutely horrible. Look at his numbers from 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 May first on. Wasn't a bad player. Mediocre. Look at look at look at what your uh, other third basemen in the league are that are making similar money to him. He's not that far off. Now, granted, there are some young, outstanding third basemen who are still on their rookie scales or their not rookie scales, but pre-arbitration and arbitration scales. Can't really do anything about that. Those guys are going to get paid stupid money too. Um, but you know, from from May one to the end of the season, I don't think thirteen million dollars was a wild overpay for him. I, I think he was overpaid a little bit, but I don't think it was. I don't think he was the glaring problem. Solid, solid third base defense hit a little bit, um, and and he, he was like almost invisible, I guess. Now, yeah, you're right. Right. Maybe so how, can, so that's not something that the Yankees should really be welcoming onto a team that's trying to look towards the future is basically no, right. invisibility at third base. You're right. But, and, and then that's, that's what we're, that's kind of where we're heading. Um, one, we don't know the kind of offers Cashman received. Right. We don't know how much he may have been asked to pay down. And we don't know what other, alternatives he may have tried to have or thought were realistic at third base. You can't just put Miguel Anduar there right now, and there's no one else in the system who who is uh, everyday third baseman. If anyone tells me that Ronald Torres is everyday third baseman, they, they need a straitjacket. 
you know that that's they, they that that can't happen. Um, so, so what do you do? I, it's I, we we don't we don't know enough about what those deals were, um, and you have to think that <laughs> you have to think that Cashman didn't look at a deal and say, you know what, this is a great deal, but no thanks. And I think that's the biggest point. I think that if there was somebody in waiting in the wings that was ready to go at this point, or someone who was teetering in AAA and, and almost ready and that they could throw them in, I think it would have been a different story. But if you look at the third base depth in the system, I mean, it's, it's Andujar, and he's not, he's not ready. And, you know, maybe you're shifting a guy like Castro to third, but again, that's a project. Uh, you know, you don't know how that's going to work out. I you think also move him to third, and then who do you put out. at second base? Yeah, there's, there's different things that, that happen. And that's why I think you know, the deal didn't happen is because there is no heir apparent currently that's ready to take over. And right. if there or was, even, he'd be gone. Or even on the free agent market or even through a trade market. Like you could say, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll trade Chase Headley and, you know, eat $3 million a year <laughs> off of his deal or something. Um, but, okay, and then we'll just go trade for a third baseman. But who? And and, and, and what's the cost offset? And and what, what you know... D- you need you really need Anduar to prove himself at Double A. He didn't do it last year. He he he. You know, scouts were saying that he he looked great. I I talked to plenty of people who said he he looks like a a player, but just the numbers really weren't there. Um. So you really need him to 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 show up next year at the Double A and and to rake before you can start thinking of moving Chase Headley to eat money and then giving Anduar a shot. You think the Padres are willing to part with Jan Hervis Solarte? <laughs> <laughs> redo the trade yeah I wish uh, they wouldn't do at this point oh of course not um probably not right. probably not for what the Yan- probably not for what the yankees are gonna offer um all right, also fine. the yankees would the yankees just purely wouldn't do that because that would be egg on the face oh i know and, and i was, I was yeah. just i was just joking yeah. it's just, no, I know, it's just I know, funny I know. to look at um right and right. The, the ironic thing is that the half season that they had when they first traded for headley he was actually really good for them um, right 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 and see, Brendan, the one thing you don't know yet is that Andrew has a, a, a severe disdain for Chase Headley. So there's there's animosity here. I grew up in North Jersey. Many of my friends are Yankees fans. Yeah. Many of my friends despise Chase Headley, who I must say for the record is like a good guy of all good guys. Sure, but but uh, that doesn't make him a good baseball player. <laughs> uh, uh, nope, nope, nope. Not not at all making that case. But but I just need to know everyone. I need everyone to, who who physically actually hates Chase Headley to know that, like, all right, he sucks as a baseball player. Good dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's I'm a sure great guy with the young players. guys, too. Yeah. And I'm sure by there's the way, a lot of players that I idolize who are dickheads. And you know what? Way, I don't know that. By the way, I said that wrong. I didn't say I didn't mean to say that he sucks as a baseball player. What I'm saying is that if you think he sucks as a baseball player, sure, that's one thing. But he's, <laughs> he's, he's you know, it's, it's another thing to, to actually hate the guy. Don't worry. Anyway, we're not going to send that soundbite to him. Don't worry. <laughs> He, he knows. We've talked about it. <laughs> um, all right, final thing before we get you out of here is, do you expect Brett Gardner to be traded? I do, and here's why. Um, <sighs> so, and I wrote about this today. You don't need to trade Brett Gardner. Yeah, He's getting 13 this year, 12 the next year. It's not like a substantial, substantial, substantial cost, cost savings probably. You probably end up eating some of his money, but who knows how much? Uh, and he's still productive. He is still productive. He uh, he underperformed last year. It's it's alarming that he's not running. That's I don't, uh, I don't. No one has an answer for that. He doesn't have an answer for it. The Yankees, I think, say he has a green light, but he's just not doing it. Um, <clears throat> so 
he's 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 productive and he's he's real well liked um but just as as this, i guess i'm kind of making the case that you were making before uh with the fifth starter how you could just plug in one of those guys and you get the same um production i guess my argument was you know you could put in Aaron Hicks uh Mason Williams and would the drop off in production from them to Brett Gardner be all that great i don't know maybe it would be falling off a cliff maybe it would be about the same my gut says that those one of those two guys could perform capably in that position and he, he and and if you're going to trade Brett Gardner it'd probably have to be now i don't see his trade value getting much better i mean again he's not washed up he's not over the hill and, and there's no reason to think that he can't rebound and have a great 2016 but you know you got yeah you have hicks and you you talk this big game about him you have mason williams who's who's hasn't looked hasn't looked lost in, in, his, in his major league uh tries and and he really hit a triple a two times now i think that it's worth giving those guys a shot and and you have clint frazier who i think could you know be ready sometime in the summer or, or late summer and and then then what do you do with Brett Gardner, you're not going to sit him down. Right. The problem with Brett Gardner is there's two Brett Gardners. There's the version where he makes the all-star team and he's got a 375 on base percentage and he's a really, really good left fielder. And then there's the version where he's injured and he doesn't run and he strikes out a bunch. And it's like, which right. one are you going to get? Yes, Mason Williams and Aaron Hicks could replace the bad version of Gardner, but they right. couldn't come close to, to replacing the good version. Yeah, I mean, prob- probably not. But – you know, are you willing to live with that placeholder until you feel Clint Frazier is ready? Right, and and I majors? think they are. Like June, July is a is a um, probably a best case scenario early early um, summer for Clint Frazier. <laughs> I, um, I would say very best case scenario there. Very but even case. if it's towards the end of the year, um, you can you can live with it if you can get a return for Gardner, which. Unlike Chase Headley, I think you actually could get a return for Gardner because, like you said, he is still productive when he is on the field. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and you know, he's still a solid defender, but... Uh, okay, so Brett Gardner won a, a gold glove last year. Brett Gardner is dynamite. He is a um, highlight reel type guy often in left field. And he lays out. Jeez, he lays out. He 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 hits so many walls. Uh, it's it's almost like he finds a wall to just to hit the wall. Um, but at the same time, left field in the Yankee Stadium isn't particularly huge. It's not it's not the uh, it's not the the hardest territory to roam. And guys who are uh, you know like Aaron Hicks who who can really run, guy like Mason Williams who can really run. Not to mention Hicks has an arm. Mason Williams has, I think, a solid arm. Um, I, I don't think you'd see a huge defensive drop-off from, from either one of those guys. And, and uh, you know, it, with the same deal with um, Brian McCann this offseason, you have to think, is his trade value ever going to be higher? Are you a 1,000% convinced that Breck Gardner is going to come back next season and, and be that higher-end Breck Gardner that you were talking about? When he's another year older, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I I, I see that. 
Yeah, and another problem that I I see is I look around the league and I question what team would be willing to trade for him. I feel like the Nationals would have been a nice fit, but they just traded for Adam Eaton. I feel like the Cardinals would have been a nice fit, but they just signed Dexter Fowler. So a lot of teams that needed an outfielder that are in win-now mode already replaced their outfielders for this offseason. <laughs> Or they can yeah. go out and sign one if they don't want to make a trade. Uh, well, so. I don't know that you need a. I don't know that you need to find a win now partner. I, I think the the Angels make sense. I don't think they're they're outfield set. I think the White Sox make sense. I don't think they're, they they. I don't know that they necessarily have uh, all three outfield spots set. Um, I, I think there are are teams that make the Orioles. The Yankees were we're talking. They're the not Orioles. trading with the Orioles. I don't care what Cashman says. I I don't see why they wouldn't. Because the, but, when's the last time they traded somebody in division uh, of Brett Gardner's caliber? Cashman said, oh, I've traded with the Mets and the Red Sox. Yeah, for guys like Kelly Johnson, not for guys yeah. like Brett Gardner. Well, Kelly Johnson was a starter. He ended up being a starter. <laughs> Come on. He ended up, they ended Stephen up Drew was our him. starter for an entire year. Yeah, well, a, yeah they, a, they, they wanted him a, to be a starter. Brett Gardner is the, <laughs> Brett Gardner's the longest tenured Yankee on this team. Right. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it's a huge jump. To go from Stephen Drew that the Yankees got in return, like an everyday player, the, the guy the Yankees thought they were buying low on, everyday player, to say, okay, now we're going to trade Brett Gardner, a guy the Orioles will say, okay, we're buying low on him. I, I don't think it's a super, super stretch. It seems like also there's there's another opportunity with Gardner in the sense that uh, like you're talking about a, the starting pitcher and if you're not looking for a team that's trying to win right now to to possibly package Gardner with one of the prospects and get an arm in return. I mean that that seems like you're getting a nice player plus a prospect. Uh, you have some some flexibility there and like you know we've been saying this whole time he's still a productive guy. He's going to help you now. Um, so I, I see him as a nice little package. Uh, opportunity as well for Cashman. He's got some yeah, flexibility with him. Yeah, it's so hard to talk about what would some what team get back in a trade, what is someone's value, how much they have to give up in a trade, because you really have no idea what these teams are are thinking, what they truly value each player as being. But you look at Brick Gardner and you say, solid everyday big leaguer, unspectacular as a full package, but good player um you look at uh the 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 back end of the yankees rotation and you're like uh, maybe they're great maybe they're not it's just it's just so hard to say what these teams are are, are looking at and would want back for for brett gardner so in when, when cashman when Ca- you have to think that cashman is is trying to improve the team at all costs um not only because his contract's up at the end of the year, but partially because his contract's up at the end of the year. Um, you know, they're going to they're gonna make deals that they think improve the team. And, you know, if, if the Yankees haven't traded Brett Gardner yet, it's because they don't think that it's, it's going to improve the team. Yeah. All right, Brendan, well, we definitely thank you for joining the podcast. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Brendan Cuddy and Jay. And again, thanks very much. Hey Scott, Andrew, thank you, and uh, you know the the work you guys do. You guys are are, are pretty relentless too. So I I, I appreciate the, the content you guys uh, you know have up there in the off season. Uh, I know it's a grind. All right, thanks, Brendan. Appreciate it, man. All right, thank you. Bye. Okay, we are back, Scott. Obviously, the biggest news from the winter meetings as it concerned the Yankees was Chapman coming back. We got into it a little bit with Brendan. Um, mainly about the signing and if it made sense for the Yankees, but just initial gut reaction 
were you happy or upset that the Yankees brought back Chapman for that big of a contract? It definitely was a big contract, but what was your gut reaction? I mean, my gut reaction was I was expecting it. So, I, I mean, I was—I guess I was happy that they got their guy because at that point I was expecting him to be re-signed. I think it would have been more a bigger news story if he didn't re-sign with the Yankees and he went somewhere else. If uh, you know, if uh, the Marlins ended up, you know, just throwing a whole. Did ton. anyone really think the Marlins were going to get either Jansen or Chapman? I mean, well, I think if they they had to really they had to overpay it by a significant amount. I mean, and that was because of of the appeal of South Florida and. Uh, you know Chapman and the, and the big um, you know the big Hispanic market down there. I think I think there's a lot more uh, a different appeal down there as well. So I think if they had thrown a ton of money at him, then it was possible. But I they would have really had to what, overpay. I think what the Marlins did a couple years ago when they signed Jose Reyes and uh, Mark Burley and then immediately shipped him out of town, that is going to scare a lot of free agents off because when you sign a long-term contract in a city. You do it not only because of the money, but because you want to live in that city. And then if you, a year or two later, the team isn't working out, you immediately get shipped out of town. I think that's going to, that probably pissed a lot of players off the way they handled that. Well, yeah. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of these no trade clauses being put into the, into the contracts. And I guarantee that the Marlins were not ready to go in and throw a, a no trade in there for, for Chapman because, you know, in the back of their mind, they're like, well, you know, when we do suck in two years, we're going to ship you out and you will have no control of where you go. So um, it worked out once for him. I think he's, uh, you know, he doesn't want to play his cards again at the trade deadline. I think he's, he's good. And, and yet the, you know, the, the Yankees were able to give him something a, a little bit more of a security blanket. So it was uh, it was a, a good deal. So yeah, I'm happy. I'm glad he's back. I think it's uh, you know, I guess in all, when you're looking at what happened today with Jensen uh, Jensen and how much uh, Melanson signed for then. Yeah. I mean, it's a good deal, I guess. Oh, when you when you if you're to say the Yankees were going to sign one of the big three closers, and here's what they were going to get: eighty six million for Chapman, eighty million for Jansen, and sixty two million for Melanson. There's no question Chapman made the most sense for a couple reasons. One, I think he's the best out of all of them. Two, he um, was already with the Yankees, so you know he can handle New York. And three, he didn't cost a draft pick. Right. So. When you add up all those factors, even though he cost the most, he made the most sense for the Yankees. Yeah, and I don't think the Yankees are all about getting the band back together, uh, bringing back Melanson and going out and getting Quintana and these guys that were in their farm system and then paying them a ridiculous amount of money or paying prospects to get these guys. I think that does go into the back of the mind of the Yankees sometimes. And the fact that they got their, their guy, the one that they really did want for – I'm not calling it peanuts because it's not. But when you look at how much the, money the, the three biggest guys contract, got, biggest I know, contract it's in ridiculous. history. I know, but we're talking about three of the biggest contracts that were given out this offseason. So, you know, the lightning struck. We were talking about this with Brendan and just how the offseason kind of folded for these guys. I mean, it was perfect for these three relievers, the way that the, the market presented itself. And... Yeah, so I'm happy he's on the team. We got him for at least three years, right? There's a, there's a. Well, yeah, it's minimum three because he has an opt out after three years, but he also right. has that no trade clause for the first three years. So they're right. locked in for uh, three years with Chapman. So it's good stuff. I mean, there's the argument back and forth. I guess is if the Yankees will be at a point where they're ready to compete for a title at that point. Some some may say yes, some may say no. Uh, it all depends on how these guys, these young kids, start playing. So. Um, we will see, I guess, but yeah, it's a, we know now that that part of the team is taken care of. It's pretty insane. And I know you and I have talked about this in the past when they, uh, traded Chapman to the Cubs, but think about how Cashman has handled, 
uh, Chapman over the last year and a half. He bought extremely low on him from the Reds, basically got him for uh, prospects, Caleb Cotham and Tony Renata. That Those were like the two uh, main prospects that went to Cincinnati. It was a risk, but they handled it extremely well. He served his suspension. He comes back, performs. They trade him for Glyber Torres, who is now their number one prospect in the Yankee system. And they get Adam Warren back, who was the main guy that went to Chicago for Starling Castro. So you lose Chapman for the six, uh, the few months at the end of last year, but they were didn't need him anyway. And then you sign him back. And the way I think Cashman handled Chapman is, is honestly some of his best GMing that I can remember. Oh, it's, he's like the grand puppeteer. It was perfect. <laughs> the way that that whole thing went down, when you look back at it, it's genius. I mean, he really was, he had the whole thing orchestrated, it seems. And like, this is the, he, he, uh, he had a quote out there saying this was not part of the master plan. <laughs> sure. Okay. I, I sent, yeah. I sent out a, a tweet about that, um, with the, with a picture of Costanza, just, you know, giving yeah. the, the AOK sign. So, Cause that's, you know, in the back of your mind, you knew he was, he was thinking about resigning him because that. There had to have been conversations where Chapman said, hey, when the offseason hits and I'm a free agent, this is one of the places I would prefer to be. And you know damn well that that conversation happened. So, um, yeah, he did a, a tremendous job. And honestly, you're saying that's some of his best work. I mean, over the past couple of years, when Cashman has been able to do his job, it seems like with, you know, with his, his own brain and, and having you know, complete uh, ownership and control of his, his own moves, they've been very good. And, uh, you know, I've been one to argue that his hand was pressed a little bit to go out and sign somebody with the with the Ellsbury, because I know you you kind of hold that one against him. I, I still feel like his his hand was held to the fire a bit to go and sign. Maybe it wasn't just Ellsbury, maybe the decision making on to sign Ellsbury, and not somebody else, but to sign somebody of significance that offseason. Um, so, yeah, I think over the past couple of years, we're seeing some of the best work by Brian Cashman. Yeah. Um, I know we have a, a bunch of mailbags talking about how the Yankees will actually use Chapman and Batances. So we're going to get into that when we talk about mailbags. Um, but I, I also want to mention as far as closers and Chapman goes, the Cubs ended up trading Jorge Soler to Kansas City for Wade Davis, who has one year left on his deal. And he does have some injury concerns there. But when you compare that to the price that they had to pay for a half season of Araldis Chapman, I mean, it is night and day. Soler is a good young player, but Glyber Torres, like I just said, he could be, he is the number one prospect in the Yankee system. And when the new rankings for next season come out for MLB's top 100, a lot of people project him to be in the top 10. So you got a top 10 MLB prospect for a half season of, of uh, Chapman. It just goes to show you how the price skyrockets at the trade deadline, which obviously we know when you looked at what Cashman did last year. Yeah, and I think different different teams will have different opinions on on what they hold more valuable too. Is you know you're getting a like you're saying, uh, Glaber Torres was a, a top prospect. I'd say since he's come to the Yankees, he's really excelled his status just because he's done so well. Uh, but you're getting a guy like Soler, who like you said is a good young player. He is you know he was a highly he was a touted prospect, but he has also major league experience. So I think some GMs may hold that to uh, you know more of. Uh, more value because they they have seen him in a small sample size at the major league level. So I think people could debate whether, you know, whether the the hall was as, you know, as different, but I agree. It's a, it is a night and day when you're talking about uh, the trade deadline and the off season, there's just so much more flexibility. Obviously the other 
big news, non-Yankees related, was that the Red Sox traded for Chris Sale. They traded Yohan Moncada, Michael Kopech, and two other prospects to the White Sox. Um, and they got, I wrote on Friday, I think Sale's the third best pitcher in baseball um, when you look at his last four or five seasons. Um, and their rotation is ridiculous when you consider Sale, um, Porcello, and and uh, uh Price. Your boy Price, Jesus. yeah. Price. The one um, who's really good in the postseason. <laughs> to go along with that offense. Um, hey, they they still have to prove it in the postseason, but all I know is they're gonna win a hell of a lot of regular season games. Um it's gonna they're gonna be a tough team in the regular season next year. But they did do it without really trading anyone from their major league team, which is insane. Uh but Moncada was the the unanimous number one prospect in baseball. Um I know a lot of people were saying that the Yankees should have targeted Chris Sale and that they could have gotten him. However, I disagree with that when you look at what the Red Sox traded. Moncada, like I said, number one prospect. Kopak was also a very high prospect for them. But Moncada was kind of on a different level as far as prospect goes. He's almost a can't-miss. Um, so I don't think the Yankees had a can't-miss guy that they were willing to trade to the White Sox. Like, they were not going to trade Clint Frazier, and they were not going to trade Gleyber Torres. I don't even think they would have traded... Um, Jorge Mateo, uh, and they certainly were not going to trade Gary Sanchez. So I don't think they had the pieces to get sale. The one thing that Makata could miss was the was the baseball at the end of the season, though. When he did come up, he was terrible. I mean, he swung. He had the, a horrible strikeout percentage. Nineteen years old. I, I understand. I'm just I'm just saying the kid was like ridiculous with with his strikeouts, and they 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 got a ridiculous player. the The rotation for the Red Sox now is unbelievable i mean there's there's no there's no going around it i got text messages from my buddies uh i have a couple buddies who are, are red sox fans and they're like oh so who should we pitch first how are we gonna put this rotation like listing off all these ridiculous combinations um but my response is that that's good you guys are going to be very good no doubt about it you're going to be a hell of a regular season team let's see what you could do at the end of the season in pressure situations that's fine L let's prove it first before we're talking about you know all these rings you know it's like lebron not two not three not four Let, let's see you do it first so you got to totally actually agree. produce. Um, but I don't sales, even care. Sales kind of a lunatic, honestly. <laughs> I kind of like it. And, and I'm going to write something about this. This is a, 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 a blog article that I'm going to write soon because I'm, I got a lot of thoughts about this. So I'll just go on a tangent now. I'm very happy that Chris Sale landed in Boston. You know oh, why? Oh, all right. You want to know ahead. where I'm going with it? Go ahead. Because nope. I already don't like this guy. And this is, a per this is the perfect person who, who can really come back and, and spark this rivalry because the guy is a scumbag. He flips out. He rips jerseys up. He's just he's just the kind of guy that we can really get behind I mean, hating. Call him a scumbag. I would he's say a scumbag. he's a mentally unstable. Oh, he's which a scumbag. Is a bad recipe for Boston media. But at the same time, I thought so. I agree that I think he could. You could. It's we perfect. Could really hate the shit out of this Red Sox. Oh team. no doubt. No, and, and this is a hateable bunch, and, and yeah. that's great. Um, which is good because now that Ortiz retired, we were going to we were going to miss some hate. Um, so I'm glad that we're going to hate this team. But I thought you were going to go down the avenue of that uh, you're happy they traded for him because you think he's going to fail in Boston because he can't handle it. Um, I was going to disagree with you because if the Yankees had traded for him, also another huge media market, you wouldn't have been saying that. Well, no, that's yeah. I don't. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I think he's a phenomenal pitcher. When you have, I do. I do worry about his. Not, I don't worry about it anymore because he's on the Red Sox. But 
I think he's, I mean, he's a couple pitches away he's from some serious arm injuries. probably on the downswing in his career, yeah. but but they have him locked up for semi-reasonable money until 20, his 28, 29, and 30-year-old seasons. So that's that's kind of a, a safe risk. I just see a guy throwing the way he does with, with like the, the amount of violence he does in that arm action. It's like, I can't see him having a long career. Yeah. And, and you know what? There's still, there's still some karma payback with the Dodgers. I'm still, I'm still holding on to this. <laughs> You're never letting that go. Uh, I'm, I'm holding on to this one. The, the Red Sox are going to pay. Uh, literally, they're going to pay with Sandoval and hopefully Sale and definitely he's skinny Price. again. He's, for the fifth time, he's skinny. I mean, CC got skinny, and what did that do for him? So I, I'm not putting much stock in him getting skinny and, and being good. I think he's good fat, personally. So I don't know. I don't know. You saw that belt break, right? Yeah, but that's, I think that's part of his, who he is. That's Panda. Pandas are not skinny. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, so like, I, like you were saying, you were alluding to that the Red Sox still have to prove it in the postseason. That is true. But I don't even really care about that. What I wrote on Friday was that who cares if the Red Sox are, are assembling the super team right now? The Yankees are not going to be competing with them in 2017. It's a sad reality. But they can certainly compete with them as soon as 2018 and definitely in 2019. And that's what Yankee fans need to be focused on right now. It's just having your team get better. Who gives a crap what the Red Sox are doing right now? Because you know what? Anything less than a World Series title with that pitching staff is an utter failure. And Dave Dombrowski has assembled super rotations in the past. Mm-hmm. Better rotations in the past. I would argue Verlander, Scherzer, and Price in Detroit was a better rotation than this. And that team didn't even make it out of the first round of the playoffs. So anything less than a World Series is a huge failure for the Red Sox. That's a good place to be in if you're a Yankees fan because, yes. it, because the fall is going to be that much sweeter. Well, and, and the expectations now are on them and not on the Yankees. The Yankees right now, as a Yankees fan, you got to be happy about this because we know where we are. We know what, what's happening with our system. We're, we're rebuilding, retooling, however you want to call it. But at the same time, we're playing with house money. So if these guys start playing better earlier than we expect, you never know. But we're at a point where we are playing with house money right now. And anything positive, if, if this team does overachieve, then it's not expected. So... That's that makes it even sweeter uh, at that moment. So I, I like our position right now. It's almost like the Yankees are the underdog, which is crazy. Yeah, that I mean that's even when they're the underdog, though they're not the underdog. All right, let's move into some mailbag questions. Um, first, fewer about Chapman. The first one is from Mike Guizala. He writes for Bronx Pinstripes, and he says, "Guizala." What did I say it wrong? I uh, just like saying his name. It's fun to say. <laughs> Guizala. I probably did say it wrong. Granted, the postseason is a different animal, but does the way Madden used Chapman during the playoffs with a varying degree of success change the way Girardi and the Yankees use him going forward? Lots of teams copycat champs in sports, so I wonder if the Yankees change their formula based on the success of the Cubs and even the way the Indians used Miller. And I'm going to read Luke from Leicester, England. I think that's how I was told to pronounce it on yeah. on Twitter. Uh, to me, it looks like Lakester. Um <laughs> Now that we've signed Chapman, do you think Batances would move into the fire extinguisher role like Miller did for the Indians, or does Joe, or is Joe too stuck in his ways so it'll be Clippard, Batances, Chapman in the seventh, eighth, and ninth? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think there's going to be Mike's absolutely right in the sense that there's a there's a big uh, there's a big trend to copycat in the major leagues in in every sport really i mean you see it in the you see it in the nfl you see it in baseball with the shifting i mean when when madden started doing all the shifting everybody started doing it afterwards so 
there are definitely signs that that may happen. Um, the the one thing I think is interesting that that Luke actually mentioned is that I think it, if he is to do it, it will be Batantis. Chapman's not yeah. going to be the guy I don't think is going to move around. But I do no. think Batantis, because of the the ability he has, and we've seen him in the ninth. We're not sold on him as a ninth inning guy, and now we don't need to be. I think he actually could be used as that fire extinguisher role, which really does give Girardi a lot of flexibility. So. Hopefully Girardi is not stubborn in the in the way that he you know only uses them seven eight nine because uh, I have a, I have a gut feeling that he's not I think he's going to use them a little bit more flexible. So um, as far as how Chapman will pitch, he's going to be the traditional closer, one inning, maybe yeah. occasional four out save, but it's going to be very occasional because the regular season is just a different type of thing than the playoffs. You don't push your guys like you do in the playoffs, nor would I want them to because. The leverage in Game 5 of the World Series is not the same as July 25th. It's just it's just the reality that we live in. Um, but as far as using uh, Batances as the fire extinguisher, I would love it. Because I think he's so perfect for it. Because his stuff is so versatile. Sometimes the 5th inning is the most critical point in the game. Sometimes it's the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth. If it's the ninth, we know Chapman's going to pitch. But if it's any of those other innings, why can't Batances pitch? No, I think he can. And I think that's, I think we're going to see it because especially if you know what's coming, if you're, if you know what part of the lineup you're in, you're in a close game, let's say the sixth inning, and you know what, what's coming up in the next half inning, then you're giving Batantis the opportunity to work that inning and, and the complete inning. And we've seen what he does from coming in in the middle of inning with runners on base. He doesn't hold runners on well. And if he has a clean inning, he's much, much better. So I think Girardi is going to be smarter with Batantis in that way. And I think also by doing that, you can actually limit his innings a little bit better. I totally agree. I was actually just going to say that. I think because uh, maybe you're pitching him more every outing, but you're certainly pitching him fewer outings, which I think is almost better for the arm. If you throw an extra 10 pitches, that doesn't hurt the arm as much as if you throw back-to-back-to-back days. Right, because you're warming up. It takes about it takes out all the warming up every other day or every day, like you're <laughs> and saying. And we've said it a thousand times. Yes. Like Girardi wears his guys out before they even exit the bullpen. Yeah, I'm telling you, baseball reference is coming with that stat. It's happening. It's like a military workout just to get get your arm loose out in that Yankee dug, out in that Yankee bullpen. The, I definitely see it as a as a as an overall thing. though. I think Girardi will change his ways a little bit. Mm. At least adjust them. <laughs> it's hard. You don't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, I I, I would absolutely love it. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. All right, what do we have next? Next one is from Jacob Bishop. He says, I love your show from England. You guys are from England, man. We got a lot of people from over across the pond listening. He says, you talked about a possible series being played in the UK. Uh, there's definitely a market over here for baseball. In the last few years, baseball has been on the rise with teams and leagues setting up everywhere. Could possibly see one of the cricket grounds, which seats 30,000 plus. Keep up the good work. That's interesting as far as the, the leagues and teams that are setting up in, uh, in the UK. That's, that's something I did not know about. Yeah, and uh, basically I just wanted to uh, read this mailbag because I feel like there are a lot of, at least, Yankee. there's a Yankee following in London, it feel, in, in the UK, it, yeah, it definitely. feels like. And obviously we're in our own world. We're in our small world where we only talk to Yankee fans. Um, but that's why I think sending a team, a New York team, I mean, I know we got a DM from someone um, that, that maybe predicted the Mets going over there, but it's got to be a big team, a New York team or, or an LA team or, or – Chicago team. It can't be random ass teams like we talked about last week. Um, 
But I think baseball, because there's so many games and you wouldn't feel like you're wasting a, a series if you go over to the UK, like you feel like maybe you're wasting a game playing it in the NFL, I think it could actually be even better. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the groundwork has to. You're seeing, you're seeing now, and uh, you're right. We've gotten a few DMs on on Twitter about this. And I've been going back and forth. The the interesting thing with what it sounds like from what Jacob is saying is that they're they're setting up a kind of a foundation groundwork of baseball, just period baseball, the sport in the UK. And to me, that's the telltale sign that they are really trying to get this thing to grow because MLB is going to start then putting money into youth programs and you know they're going to try to get the 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 younger kids involved with baseball so that they know the rules and and they're they're more involved with the game. Similar to what's happening or what's happened over the past 15 20 years with soccer. I mean, now I think you're starting to see soccer in the U.S. actually gain traction. I didn't think it would ever happen. But with all the pro, all the major networks like forcing soccer down your throat with all the top highlights, it feels like they're constantly on the top 10 on ESPN and on like NBC and Fox. They're, you're seeing more of a, um, a normalcy with that sport. And it's, if that's the case, what they're doing in the U.K., then I could absolutely see it happen. You know? But it's going to take time. I feel like with the amount that we've talked about this UK baseball, that if it ever does happen, we need to go over there. Oh, no doubt. Don't we have a place to stay in Nice, any, in like the south of France, so we can just pop over there too? We do. We got to pick up that email. Yeah. <laughs> Remember us? <laughs> um, be like uh, how, uh, crashing a house party over there. All right, next up, Clint Hawker. He says, I'm from Tennessee and have been a New York Yankees fan my entire life. One thing I can't get over is the Yankees not signing Yohan Moncada. I'm so happy I don't have to see him in Boston, but do you think it was a mistake to not sign him? Um, I think it's a very real question. The Yankees got outbid for Moncada. Um, it was a crazy amount of money that the Red Sox had to pay because they paid dollar-to-dollar dollar, uh, tax on the signing bonus. I think it ended up being like $62 bucks, all said and done. So it was a lot of money. But they did get an ace for him a couple years later. And if they decided not to trade him, they would have had the number one prospect in baseball. So I think it's a very real second guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you can look back and it was a lot of money. I mean, that was a ton of money. And the, you know, with the way that the international signing was and that the fact there's, you know, a certain amount of money. And I know, I think he was the last guy to get like a giant contract, right? Or he was one of the last guys to get this giant contract, especially now with the new CBA. Um, you know, maybe maybe the Yankees should have spent when they when they had the opportunity to. But I don't know with the with the way that their farm system is right now. I I can't really look back and say, well, you know, they should have gotten this guy and that guy as well because they're in a pretty good shape. So I, I'm okay with where we are and the fact that the Red Sox did give him up for a number one pitcher. I mean, it does tell about his prospect status, obviously. But that's a Dombrowski. So, that's Dombrowski. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying I I can't tell you that I'm upset about it. Because yeah, I'm really not. I wouldn't not. say I'm upset, but I would say that it's if you want if you're talking about things to second guess, second guess Brian Cashman, that's on the list. He did swing and miss at a lot of balls at the end of the season. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, move on. What do we have next? Next one is from Drew. He said, "Hey guys, love the show. I don't think the Yankees would actually do this given their current state. But if there was a way to land Jose Quintana without giving up anyone like Sanchez, Frazier, and Torres." Do you think it'd be worth it? I only say this because he's super affordable for four years and would be an important uh, uh, piece to have when Tanaka opts out next year. When you look at the absolute haul that the White Sox got for not only Chris Sale, but Adam Eaton 
<laughs> they, they got Lucas Giolito plus three other prospects from the Nationals for a quality, very quality player in Adam Eaton. But that's a big haul to get for Adam Eaton. Um, I can only imagine what they'd be asking for Jose Quintana. They would not be even... asking for Sanchez. They would be asking for yeah. Clint Frazier. I mean, not... I don't think you can get them without giving up those guys because the price is so high. If I'm Cashman, I'm not even talking to the White Sox right now because they're just asking astronomical uh, they're asking for astronomical hauls back because they're getting them from teams. So I don't want to get into that type of situation. There's, it's not going to end well. It's going to end with us getting a guy back that was in our system. Again, I'm, I'm going to reiterate that because it's, it's irritating. And the fact is that that is a fact. And you think that the Yankees want to have egg on their face that badly by giving up a lot of their prospects for a guy that they already had control of. No, that's not going to happen. It's a PR disaster, in my opinion, especially if he doesn't really work out in New York. So, Well, I think that Jose Quintana has more of a, um, a chance of turning into Javier Vazquez than a guy like Chris Sale. Oh, if no you're going to make a trade and give up a boatload of prospects, make it be Chris Sale. Right. Don't make it be the next best option. Yeah, so I'm staying very, very far away from the White Sox right now just because they are getting what they've been asking for, which is astronomical astronomical hauls of, of really good prospects. I mean, Giolito, you look at that deal, and on the surface, you look at that deal and what the Nationals said no to last year, and Giolito was definitely part of the Andrew Miller talks. And, I mean, it was a flat-out no, we're not dealing with this guy. The the the, the crazy well, thing I mean, is I would how argue low his stock went down. Adam Eaton is a is a better it, Adam Eaton is more valuable to the Nationals than Andrew Miller. I don't know. Yeah, Would, he's a full time player. He's a full time player. He's a really I, really good player. I get he's a he's a good player. He's definitely got clubhouse issues from everybody who's played with him. They that's that's been something that's been starting to leak out there too, as I've read about. But I mean, he's a nice player. He's not he's not a guy that I'm giving up our number one prospect for. He's I, I just, sneaky I just good. Don't see he's it. just really good at a lot of stuff. He's not like a superstar. But he's a really, really solid player at pretty much everything. But I think that's kind of away from the point. I think the point is is that how far and how well-known it was that the Nationals uh, had their stock drop for Giolito. I mean, yeah. it's because you talk about the trade deadline. He was an untouchable. He was a, it, exactly. It was him and Trey Turner that were untouchable guys because he was the number one pitching prospect in baseball. Hands down, he was the guy. Well, let's fast forward now to December, which is not that far forward, and you're giving him the number one prospect for baseball for Adam Eaton, who's a nice player in left field. I just, it seems like it's, it's a, you know, they, they kind of let, the, they let the cut out of the bag with, with how, you know, how down they are on Giolito. If I was a Nats fan, I understand that they're going for it while they have Bryce Harper on the roster, but I, I'm saying, like, all you got back was Adam Eaton for right. the number one pitching prospect in baseball. Plus, like, plus, you should get you should get an all star superstar for for how highly touted Giolito was. Now maybe the Nationals have some intelligent nerds in that system, and they can project that Giolito is not going to be a good pitcher. But from everything we know, he's going to be a really good pitcher, and to me, that's more valuable than Adam Eaton. Um, to bring it full circle, um, considering what the asking price for, for these players going in this offseason, it's just I don't think Quintana is a, a realistic option, right. even though he would be he would fit very nicely into the rotation. Um, if you can get him for a package of the second tier prospects, maybe you have to throw in one of the really good ones, then um, I'd consider it. But 
I, I just don't think that's the White Sox are hanging up the phone right now. So, yeah, I mean, the White Sox did just lose the left fielder, so maybe there's some opportunity there. <laughs> well, for Brett Gardner, <laughs> you know, with some prospects, yes, yeah, because they're prospects. in win now, they're going to lose a hundred games next year. They don't want Brett Gardner. Um, next question is from Twitter at Brian DC five eight nine says with two spots open in the rotation, who do you guys think will make the opening day rotation? And um, let's also tie that into a question from at Ben underscore Russell twenty four. What are the chances that the Yankees sign Tyson Ross? And I know we talked about that with Brendan. Um, just to, to wrap up the conversation we had with Brendan on the rotation, Tanaka, Pineda, CC locked in, all question marks. Bunch of guys competing for four and five, all question marks. The thing that I think we disagreed with on, on Brendan was he wants to go out and acquire a player giving up prospects that could compete for the number four or number five rotation spot. He's talking about a three. He, he was re- kept referring to it like a three. I felt like he had someone in his, in his, uh, in his head that he just wasn't naming the player, but yeah, it's not a top tier guy, but it's not a top tier guy. So my opinion is that, uh, I rather just see what we have. And then maybe if they're still in contention at the trade deadline, then you can go out and get a pitcher, but I'm not trading my prospects for a questionable pitcher right now. That is, um, it's just, it's just not where this team is going. And I'm not even talking about like uh, about a guy like Quintana. Quintana is not a questionable pit, questionable pitcher, uh, but a number three or four starter is probably questionable. Yeah. So I, I mean, if we're if we're talking about people and and just some names to throw in there, the the guys I think who are the leaders in the clubhouse personally, I think are, are Sessa. I think he's he's got one of those spots to lose. And, and I think it, depending on how they feel about Adam Warren, whether he's going to be the swing guy or he's going to be the fifth starter, he's going to be one of those positions. Uh, and Chad Green's going to be the other guy. I think it's between those three for the last two. Um, and then, no, you know, I, Oh, and so see, I see, I totally even just, I just blanked on. Severino. See, I think, so, I think that it, within the Yankees organization, they want Severino to work out. So they're they going to give him the most opportunities. I agree with that. I, I actually just blanked on him. My, my bad on that one. But I see, I've after what we've seen with him, you know, and the fact that he can command two pitches very well, and that third pitch has been the issue. I, I just, I don't know. I, maybe in the back of my mind, I was just kind of dismissing him as a, as a starter long term because I do think that eventually he is going to be in the bullpen because I think that's going to be his best spot to succeed, um, unless he were to really lock down that third pitch, and that's a big if because he hasn't proved that he can do it yet, and he needs that to stick in a rotation. Uh, I think that Sessa and Green have have both are, have good stuff. I think Green and um, Severino are are similar in the sense that they both throw hard and could probably translate in the bullpen also. So you know maybe we see them both in the bullpen and Warren uh, as the fifth starter. So it's it's going to be interesting, but I think we're going to you know it's going to be a, a wide open competition. It's dangerous. It's certainly dangerous going into next season, but um, I, I don't think I think because the market kind of is in a weird place with starting pitchers that I. Filling just putting names in the rotation is not what the Yankees need to be doing right now. That would actually be detrimental to the future. It would block guys for to see who we got. Not only block guys, but like, is signing Tyson Ross for what Brendan said thirteen million dollars worth it? I say no. Tyson Ross is not good. He is a number four or number five starter. I'm not spending thirteen million bucks on that guy. I'm sorry. That's just Look, a name. You're just filling up names on the lineup card. That's all you're doing with a guy like Tyson Ross. 
Well, I think you're trying to, to, to catch lightning in a bottle with a guy like that. It would be a one-year deal. I saw numbers that he was trying to get whatever he would be getting for arbitration, which is around $11 million. So, you know, if you're looking at a $10, $11 million contract for a one-year Tyson Ross guy who's trying to earn another contract, to me, that's, that's a, a position of strength for the team who signs them because you're not really losing that much. You know, you're, it's just money at this point. It's a one-year deal. The money's gone the next year. And if he does work out, then great. So... I don't know. He's he's just kind of a wild card at that point. So I do see value in that in that type of guy. Um, as far as what Yankee fans think, we we put out a Twitter poll. Um, I asked how the Yankees should fill out the starting rotation. Forty one percent make it said make a trade. Thirteen percent said take a free agent flyer. Forty four percent said let the kids compete. And there were two percent of replies with a couple of Tyson Rosses and and a couple of guys that I didn't even want to entertain uh, the talks of. I mean, the so, overwhelming th- feeling behind Yankees fans is they want to see the new kids that come up from the organization and do well, right? Isn't that what we all want? So, But the, the, the fact- kids, as far as the kids in the system, are, are more heavily on the position player side than the yes. start than the pitching. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Caprellian, Kapre- his name is going to destroy me for the rest of my life. He is the guy that, that could fly through the system. Well, I know you're – I know, and I know we've um, – I've read stuff that said Caprellian is nowhere close to the major leagues. I've also read things that he was going to come up last year if you stayed healthy. I know, so and I don't know what to believe. Yeah, so the fact is that this guy has to stay healthy, first of all. That's number one. He's got to prove that he's uh, you know, doing well and, and pitching well in double-A, and then he's going to probably shoot up fast. I'm telling you, if he, if he shows well in double-A, he's going to shoot up fast. And but that's not kid, a starter for this year. That's, that, that, that would be a bullpen arm for this year. Oh, you know see, I disagree. No, I disagree. You know the Yankees. They're not... They're, no, I think with this, he'll with be this on kid, an innings. He'll be on an innings limit, and they're not going to want to extend him too much. He's gonna, he'll come up and he'll pitch the fifth and the sixth inning and mop up duty. See, I think with this kid, what they've seen, they're, they're going to try not to do that. Just like they tried not to do that with Severino, and they're trying still not to do that with Severino. I still think they're trying to not do the the Phil Hughes Jabba uh, situation anymore with these guys. I think that's 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 something in their in their heads that they're two blown prospects. To, yeah, trying <laughs> finally, to avoid. Finally, taught them a lesson. Yeah, so I think this is a guy that I'm still I'm doubling down on the sense that they don't think he's going to have a long career and they're going to try to get as much as they can for him. <laughs> um, all right, that that actually does it for us for mailbags. Uh, definitely an entertaining winter meetings, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't. Uh, I think when that big when the some of these big bombs dropped, with the Giolito one was the was the biggest one to me of of uh, of everything. That was, or well, I guess the sale one was sale right there tree. too, but. But the Giolito one was just more mind-boggling, Perplexing. in my opinion. Yeah, it was just crazy. I just couldn't get my head around it. But yeah, how definitely. Would you, how would you grade the Yankees offseason so far? Brandon mm-hmm. gave him a C minus, I think. Well, how would you grade him? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm gonna B. I mean, I think they did what they set out to do. I don't think they were really trying to do much more. I don't think we expected them to do too much more. I mean, if you're gonna give them a, a, a bad grade, in my opinion, they missed a mark. If if that's if that's what they're doing, and I don't think they missed any marks. You know, unless they were in talks and they they missed an opportunity at Giolito, that's the only thing that I'm scratching my head about. That Cashman no, I mean, didn't sense that and, and try to jump in. I'm, but <laughs> Adam Eaton is younger than Brett Gardner, better than Brett Gardner, and locked up for longer term than Brett Gardner. So there's no way that if Cashman had any talks with the Nationals about trading Gardner, that Giolito was in the conversation. Well, I don't think it was just. That's the thing. Like I, I, I'm a firm believer that you can get. Gardner into a trade with other guys that that are uh, so then you're but trading young is, guys for young guys like that doesn't seem like it that never well, happens that well the thing is, is that's right the the thing is that the Nationals are trying to win right now and 
they obviously didn't see Giolito in their plans for next year, and they're trying to win next year. Um, I mean, you got to throw out a good team with the Cubs, the way that the Cubs are loading up still, and how young they are. You have to take your best chance when you have it. I, they're looking for relief pitching, the Nationals. So you know who they would have asked for? They would have asked for Batances. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. I don't know. I, I still would have loved to be in the in the room with a, a Cashman conversation with that because you know when Cashman smells blood, he starts going after it. And he's proved that over the past couple of years. If he is telling the truth that the heavy lifting is done and they're finished, I also give them like a B minus C plus on the offseason. I think there's one more move up, up Cashman's sleeve. I think he, he's sitting on something. I don't know if that's a Brett Gardner trade or a trade for a pitcher or something, but there's something that we, there's something else coming down the road because uh, that's just the sense I get. I mean, how long has have they been talking about trading Brett? Why would he have said the heavy lifting is done? <laughs> Except unless I trade Brett Gardner, like that, you don't just throw that out there. Unless the specific guy that I'm thinking of comes around and calls me back and says, "Okay, to the guy that I want." We're like that is a done. very that is almost like, uh, that's almost like a rude thing to say to Brett Gardner. I guess. I don't think he cares like that at this point. He knows he's being traded if the right opportunity comes. I agree with you. I think that Gardner still does get traded. I mean, I thought he was going to get traded last year, so I'm staying on it that he's going to get traded still, and Cashman will find something to work because of left field. And, you know, Gardner will block Frazier at that point if he's uh, if Frazier proves that he's ready. And yep. otherwise, Gardner's sitting on the bench. And Contract uh, will dictate it. Yep. All right, uh, great episode. Uh, it's definitely a long episode, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. A lot of uh, good information. It's been a busy offseason so far, and hopefully uh, that continues as we approach the end of the year. Scott, any last words before we get out of here? Again, appreciate the reviews from all you guys. Uh, we're, we're, we're climbing the ranks, and that is awesome. You know, we really do appreciate all the support and, uh, you know, the conversations on Twitter and social media and the emails, uh, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff is, uh, you know, we read everything. We look at everything. Uh, if we can't get to it on the on the show, it's just a time thing. Um, so, yeah, I really do appreciate you sending them in. And, uh, yeah, that's it for me. All right, I'm going to go watch the Patriots dismantle the rig. Talk to you guys next Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. 
get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.